Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And with the, <coughs> excuse me. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night nor day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Good morning. I want to thank Pastor Lynn and the faith family here to give me this honor to present a portion of God's word with you. It truly is great to be back with you. I've, I've been actually here many times. I just may have been invisible uh, through different MTM or World Mission Seminars or uh, my vacation last year visiting the Rayburns. It's been a blessing to be with you each and every time, but uh, this is a, a deeply uh, uh, overwhelming honor to be able to to speak to you all this morning, a portion of God's Word. And, and uh, your pastor had asked me to introduce to you a series of lessons which he'll be preaching from the book of Ephesians entitled, A New Life in Christ. And we're not going to be looking at any passage in, a, in, in the book of Ephesians this morning. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts where we see the ministry efforts of the Apostle Paul uh, in the town, the city of Ephesus. And I'll see if I can get this right. It's a little different than mine at home. So I got it. We're good. So this morning I want to speak to you about an impactful life of a pastor. Many of you may have heard of a World War II hero by the name of Desmond Doss. A movie was made about his heroic e efforts, but he was a combat medic. But he is well known for being a conscientious objector. He refused while in training and in combat to carry a rifle. Because of his religious upbringing, his faith in God, he desired to save lives and not take them. 
He preserved, he, you know, he persevered through many battles in Guam and the Philippines, but the most famous battle was the Battle of Okinawa, where he single-handedly saved the lives of 75 men in that brutal, brutal battle. It was the portrayal of Desmond Doss in the movie Hacksaw Ridge that stirred me when I began to learn more about his story and how applicable it is to ministry and to life, to ministry work. In the heroic efforts of Doss, he would, he would as it was portrayed in the movie, he, as, as many of his fellow soldiers were wounded, um, lost limbs, and, and nearly the end of life, he would lay there after lowering each man down from this high cliff and, and, and a, a beautiful saying, he would just simply say, give me one more, Lord. Give me one more, Lord. As I thought about those words, I thought that to me is words of ministry. A motto, a mantra in which I know many men of God who have given a lot of their lives, who have sacrificed much, praise every day, one more Lord. Even through all the hardships, the disappointments, the, the, the difficulties that ministry brings, the heart of a pastor, the heart of the missionary, the heart of the child of God should be, give me one more Lord, I think if the Apostle Paul was alive, he would say, that's what I prayed for. If there's anyone that could have prayed this prayer in the New Testament, I believe it would have been the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had such a mentality as a church planter, as a missionary. He was bruised. He was broken for the cause of Christ. But yet he may have prayed, Lord, even though I was imprisoned, even though I was beaten, give me one more, Lord. Then off he would go to the next city, the next village, to continue to preach the gospel. And this must have been a prayer that he prayed prior to coming to the city of Ephesus. He had already endured much for the cause of Christ. Ephesus was a thriving port city and capital of Asia. It was famous for its political, commercial, and religious activities. Within the city, they had a 25,000 seat theater. We might think that small in comparison to the stadiums of our day, but it was, it was significant in the times in which the Apostle Paul lived. They had racetracks, race courses, and they had a large, ornate temple of Diana or Artemis, one and the same. In fact, it is known that this temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was a pagan city. And Paul made his first stop in Ephesus briefly in Acts, the 18th chapter, verses 18 and 19, leaving Aquila and Priscilla behind as he continued in his missionary journeys. And uh, as he went on to his missionary journey, he returned to Ephesus in Acts chapter number 19. And while there he preached, 
He led people to the Lord. He baptized. He cast out demons. And, you know, as a good church planter does, he causes a great uproar in the city in which he ministers. And the reason that it was such an uproar, because it ate into the prophets of the idol makers of Ephesus. As the gospel began to penetrate the hearts and the lives of individuals, lives were changed. They were coming out of paganism and serving the only true God and worshiping the only true Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul stayed there and ministered and preached and encouraged and, and, and served these people longer than any other church that he had been at. For three years, the Apostle Paul gave of his life, his energy. He spent all that he had to pastor the church in Ephesus. And then he left. He went to various areas, and upon his return towards Jerusalem, he stopped in Miletus and then called the Ephesian pastors, the elders, to him because he desired to make a difference and an impact in their lives. Because even though I'm talking about the impact of a life of a pastor, I think there's a lot of things that are applicable to our lives as children of God in general. I want you to think about this morning... Who is that one person that has made an impact in your life? Who was it that made a difference, that, that had changed your life? Perhaps it was that Sunday school teacher. Perhaps it was that pastor. Perhaps it was a good friend, a mother, a father, a best friend. In fact, it was my best friend while in high school. I was not raised in church. Um, and uh, I was a junior in high school, and my best friend, who attended the Clovis Missionary Baptist Church in California, invited me to come. And it was upon his invitation that I began to go to the Clovis Missionary Baptist Church where I heard the gospel for the very first time. You see, growing up, I always believed that God existed. I always believed that he was there, and I thought just based upon I was a pretty good kid. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't steal. I, I, you know, I didn't, do, I didn't get into drugs. I, didn't, I was a pretty good kid, and I thought that was good enough to go to heaven. And then I heard the gospel. And you know what I learned? I'm a sinner just like everybody else. I am not worthy for heaven, but there is one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross at Calvary, who saved sinners just like you and me. And if I would repent of my sins and replace faith in Jesus Christ, he would give me forgiveness and grant me eternal life. And so I did that in 1988, and my life has changed since. But it was the influence of my best friend who made an impact to bring me to Christ. I am eternally grateful to my friend. Do you have someone who has impacted your life? For the cause of Christ, who is it and why? Because we see that as an impactful life of a pastor, the Apostle Paul wanted to make an impact in the people's lives in whom he was trying to reach. 
And we find in the text that was read earlier this morning that, that we begin to find three things in, in Acts chapter 20 that I think would be uh, encouraging for us, that might help motivate us, that we might be the men and women, the boys and girls that God desires us to be, that we too, just like an impactful life of a pastor, that we can make an impact in someone else's life. And so let us look. First of all, we begin to see in the, in the Apostle Paul that as an impactful life of pastor, the example of his life encouraged others to live for Jesus. The example of his life encouraged others to live for Jesus. We begin to see that Paul's life was consistent. Paul's life and ministry was consistent. Verse 18 says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know, now notice, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. The Ephesians were intimately aware of Paul's manner of life. He, they understood how he lived and how he conducted himself among the Ephesians. They would have concluded that Paul was who he was in private as he was in person. They would have concluded that the message that he taught was consistent with his behavior, which then would cause us to reflect and think that the manner in which he lived was vital to his success in Ephesus which is also true for us today. The manner in which we live our lives, it must be consistent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the, the consistency of our behavior will make great success and impact of those who we're trying to reach and to minister to. We must be consistent in our behavior, but notice that his behavior in life was consistent for the entire duration of his time in Ephesus, for all seasons, the whole time. He was not hypocritical. He didn't change from one group, acted one way, behaved one way, said one thing, and then be someone different to another group. He would say same publicly as he was privately because this is what I have learned in my experience and I've seen it in others, that an inconsistent life turns people away from God and the gospel. God forbid that we turn people away from Christ by our inconsistency in living for Jesus. We want to be people who draw people to Christ and not repel them. Well, not only do we see that the Apostle Paul's life and ministry was consistent, but Paul's life and ministry was tried. It was tested. It was put to the ringer, through the ringer. He was persecuted on several occasions. You know, it seemed like every time Paul walked into a city, he would always go, as his manner was, to a synagogue. And there was always his Jewish brothers in the flesh who would persecute him. They would oppose him at every turn. And they would try to drive him out of the city. They would try to squash the preaching of the gospel. But yet, as only Paul could, Paul continued on. 
Paul did not allow the persecution, the opposition to deter him from his ministry. And so notice in verse 19, it says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He continued to have opposition. In the manner in which he, he ministered, he served with humility. Paul must have been, the, he, he, he was the less arrogant man than probably what we think he would be. He, he had all the reasons to be arrogant. He'd be the type of guy that would, you know, could come out on stage and look who I am. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished for the cause of Christ. But you know what? Accolades meant nothing to Paul. He was humble. He was kind. There was no arrogance. And in fact, I think this was demonstrated by the very tears that he shed as he ministered to the Ephesians. Let's face it. Lives are messy. Temptations are great. Heartbreak is inevitable in ministry. And Paul cried. Paul wept over it all. Paul probably had disappointments. Paul probably faced times of discouragement, just like we all would. It was a tested ministry. By opposition, through ministry itself. But Paul persevered. Because what we begin to see in the example of the Apostle Paul is that a tried ministry is an impactful ministry. Do you realize that, that you know, and Brother Lynn probably realizes this, that, that people watch pastors struggle. You know, pastors kind of live in this aquarium in which everyone can view, they see their heartaches, their heartbreaks, they see struggles, faults, they see all these different aspects of life, disappointments. And when trial comes to the pastor, people sit back like in a movie theater with popcorn. How's he going to deal with this one? But the way in which the pastor deals with the struggle can make an impact in another individual's life. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail, but I can only share this with you from mine and my wife's story. We, we, we have a prodigal son, and it had turned our world upside down, and we had to deal with it a certain way. And the, and the church in which I pastor had seen the way Jenny and I had to deal with it. Now, I'm not saying we did everything perfect and right. It, it, it was hard. It was difficult. It was struggle. But one young woman came up to Jenny and I. And she said, Pastor, I appreciate the way that you've handled yourself with your son. It made a difference in my life. You see, a tried ministry can impact someone's life. And look, we all go through trials, we all go through difficulties, we all go through disappointments as we serve Christ, but people watch, people look. And when they see how we conduct ourselves in our, and, and, and how we cling to the Lord can speak volumes to people. But also when people see your vulnerability, your openness, 
can make a difference in someone's life. And Paul's life and ministry was truly tried and made an impact in these pastors' lives. But we also see that Paul's life and ministry was exhaustive. And Acts 20, verses 20, 21, it says, how, did, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had an exhaustive ministry. What I mean by that is that he exhausted everything. He emptied himself of all teaching. He kept nothing back that was to their benefit. He didn't shrink back at the possibility of the people's reactions and, and maybe their, their rejection, maybe their frowns, maybe their 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 their. their, their disappointment or their reservations to certain truths of scripture he served them with their best interest in mind and not his alone and he did this continually by teaching and proclaiming and there was nothing from God's teaching that Paul hid from the Ephesians nothing and at the core of it all was the teaching of repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. Paul taught it all. The Ephesians had three years of Paul instructing them exhaustively. No stone unturned in teaching the truth. And he was no respecter of persons. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter what region they came from. It didn't matter what color of skin they were, what language they spoke. Paul viewed them as men and women who were made in the image of God. And he exhausted everything there was that he knew to impart to them the truth of God's word. His example in ministry encouraged these Ephesian elders. The next thing we find as an impactful life of a pastor is that the certainty of his calling inspired others to serve the Lord. The certainty of his calling. If there's anything that I know, the Apostle Paul was convinced of his calling. There was no shadow of a doubt that Paul knew what God wanted from him and to do it wholeheartedly. Verse 22 says, and how behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, notice this, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testified to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now that's encouraging for Paul to know, right? Because I'm pretty sure that every person that, that ministers, you know, God sends me this place, I'm expecting that great things are going to happen. But Paul knew ahead of time, I'm heading to Jerusalem. And there's, there's going to be some unpleasantness to this journey. I don't know exactly what is going to happen, but imprisonment and afflictions are awaiting them there. And Paul continued to go. Why? 
because of the certainty of his calling. He knew what God had called him to do. You see, the Apostle Paul had a burden for Jerusalem. He was compelled to go. He was probably taking an offering as he went among the churches to collect to Jerusalem. And he was on his way. And, and, and we begin to see in the Apostle Paul's life that the, this, this calling, this conviction is necessary. It's a must. That you might be able to do God's service wholeheartedly, with no reservations, being fully committed. Because, look, without a clear sense of calling... We'll treat the service of God like some of us do diets. That's right. You all get it now. Because we've all did the latest fad diet. And we were certain in the beginning somewhat because, you know, an infomercial told us it's going to work. And all of a sudden, we start doing the diet, we get on the scale, and we gain weight instead of lose it. And we discourage and say, I'm not convinced about it any longer. How many times have we seen men of God, they supposedly are certain about their calling, go to an area, and only for a short time, they say, this is difficult, I quit. I'm done. But see, what a certainty of a calling does is it gives a sense of no quit even when times are difficult. Even times are, there's times of discouragement. And a certainty of calling is necessary in the service of God. Because ministry and service is difficult. Lives are messy. Heartbreak inevitable. Struggles come. He knew what was ahead. He knew the adversity that was set before him. His calling or conviction was clear. He had the mindset that he was not going to allow the adversity to steer him in another direction or quit altogether. He was going to do the task that he was called to do. And what Paul's calling, it inspired him to live sacrificially, to serve sacrificially. He says in verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If I, if I only, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of this that awaited him moved him. You know, I, I picture Paul like so many of our soldiers. Uh, I served in the military for four years. I'm a Desert Storm veteran. I know we have people among us this morning that have served in the military, had gone to combat. Thank you for your service. I know I've read, I've studied, I love World War II history, like heroes like Desmond Doss, that without reservation, they understood their mission. They had a conviction to fulfill it to the end. They would be the type of people that jump on the grenade to save others. Or you have that police officer that will rush into danger to preserve and save life. Or we have the images of 
in our mind where first responders, at, at, at the risk of their own bodily harm, the, the infliction of, of pain and suffering upon themselves in order that they might save a life, if they might say in their mind, just give me one more, Lord, that they didn't allow the adversity to move them because they were convinced of their calling. Paul didn't consider his life dear to himself. I've often wondered why, but it's not too hard to wonder why if you read all of Paul's writings. You know why Paul did what he did and he lived so sacrificially? Because he really thought his life being a small thing compared to what Jesus Christ did for him. The greatest sacrifice in all the world was Jesus giving of himself upon the cross at Calvary to shed his blood for the redemption of mankind. When God had got a hold of the apostle Paul, changed his life forever, Paul had thought this is just a small thing. That he could write, you know, like in Romans 12, 1, Behold, uh, because of the mercies of God, I, I present, you should present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. I mean, I mean and he could write such verses in Galatians 2, 20. You know, he, his life was to live for Christ. And he ministered that way. He didn't count his life dear to himself. And he did so that he might end his ministry, finish his ministry with joy. Do you ever have any regrets? I don't want, I don't want any regrets at the end of my life. I, I, don't want to, I, don't want, I don't want to stand before my Lord and say, you know, Lord, I, I, I wish I could change this back here. I wish I could do this differently, that differently. I don't want any regrets. Yes, we make mistakes. We, we, I understand we have all these things. But I, at the end of it all, I want to leave nothing left for the cause of Christ. I want to say that I've given my life and my energy to the purpose that God has given me. And that should be true for all of us. We ought to be like that, that runner. He trains, he agonizes through the training, building up his body, that when he crosses the finish line, there's that sense of joy, even though he's in pain, if you will, to know that, you know, I've, I've, I've trained, I've done all this, and at the end of the race, I've done it. I mean, I guess some of the greatest words that we would love to hear when we stand before Jesus is the words, well done, thou good and faithful steward. Wouldn't those be wonderful words to hear? That calling of, of being convinced and certain, this is what God wants us to do, inspires us, motivates us to live sacrificially. But Paul also knew that his calling was a serious matter. It had a serious message. Is, is there any more serious message than the kingdom message? Than the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? He says, and now behold, I know that none of you among you whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you that this day that I am innocent of all of the, the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Paul was a serious man, preaching a serious message. He was convinced about his calling. He knew it for certainty, and he considered himself like a watchman. He probably used the phrase, the blood of all, from out of the, the prophetical book of Ezekiel, where, where God had, had Ezekiel write that of, of, uh, of the watchmen of the city, that they would be their blood would be required if the city, if they didn't warn the city. And Paul, with the certainty of his calling, took his position serious as that watchman, as that, as that giving that, that of the warning to all that he came about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he was free from the blood of all men, he considered, because he knew his calling was serious, and he did it extensively, exhaustively, preaching the whole counsel of God. Then we see that the exhortation of his people empowered them for service. He, had, he, he gave his life as example. He testified of his certainty of his calling. He has the Ephesian elders there, and now he says, now it's your turn. To consider your calling. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood, to pay careful attention to observe attentively making sure you understand all the, the details, begin to notice, observe. Remember your calling, which, by the way, that the Holy Spirit had called you. It wasn't mom, it wasn't dad, it wasn't grandpa. God called them to this ministry. Remember your responsibility to shepherd the flock. to love them, to lead them, to guide them. And remember who the flock belongs to. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God, whom he paid a very hefty price to purchase by the blood of Christ. I think they ought to pay attention. And he calls them, encourages them, because he's empowering them to do as he did, and he wanted them to understand, to consider the dangers of ministry. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So we only see kind of two dangers that shepherds face. There's the dangers from without, the false teachers that are like ravenous wolves. And it's the shepherd's responsibility to beat the wolves away, to chase them away, that it won't inflict and, 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 and take part of the flock with them. Perhaps it's the beating away of the invading wolves that's easier 
the more difficult danger is from that from within. There will be some who will rise from within that may cause chaos, difficulty, disturbance. And it's difficult because there's already been relationships established. But what Paul's telling them is that God's word must prevail. There's danger. But you have a great responsibility, he was telling them. And he's empowering them to take care of the flock, which God made them overseers. And then he tells them, consider to whom you have been entrusted. Look at verses 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God or entrust you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To be alert to the work, to be awake. He didn't want them to be slumbered in their ministry. He didn't want them to be lazy. He didn't want them to, you know, give a half-hearted effort because the flock was worth protecting and loving. And he says, you know, because I'm leaving and, 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 and I know that when I leave, you need to be alert. There's going to be wolves coming in, but I've entrusted you to God who is our shield, who is our buckler, who is our fortress, and who's our protector. I'm entrusting you to him. And I'm entrusting you to the word of God, which is our guide and our compass. You see, Paul's exhortation of these pastors was empowering them to be all that God wants them to be. That they might be faithful in their shepherding of God's people. That they might be faithful in their service to Christ. And that is the same message for us all. God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to be found faithful, serving him. And isn't he worthy of our service? I mean, look what he's given us, so great a salvation. Is he not worthy of our life, the entirety of our life? Isn't God worthy to be first in our marriages, first in our homes, first in our workplace, first in our recreation? Because he is worthy. And God has given some of us abilities and talents and ways to minister to others that can make an impact in another individual's life. But are we doing it faithfully? And I think it's a, it's a small thing for God to ask of us to surrender the entirety of our life to his service based on what he's given us. That was Paul's mentality. It's throughout the New Testament and who are we to argue with God? He gave all. And he saved us that we might serve. He saved us that we might make an impact and be world changers in the here and now. Will you make an impact in someone else's life? Will you give of yourself to the one who saved you? 
sacrificed his life for you and given you eternal life. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace. We thank you for your sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that because of the impact that you've made in our lives, that we in turn could make an impact in someone else's. Father, we may have a lot of things going on in our life that distract us from your service. But Father, I pray that we'll make you the priority of our life. That we'll just think of it as a small thing, a small thing that we might put a lot, put aside our, our lives for your service because you are worthy. Father, I pray that you will bless us as we continue to minister to others. Help us to make an impact in our lives. Help us to, to reach far and wide with the gospel that we can see souls saved, lives changed, and you glorified in every place. And Father, I pray that at the end of this journey of our lives, that we can hear the words, well done, well done, with no regrets and with joy. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing your portion of your word this morning. We pray, we pray that your will will be done. Forgive us of our failures, our shortcomings, for it's in Jesus' name we pray.